appreciate it. It's uh, just an honor to be here uh, with you today. Uh, I'm just uh, blessed to be here at Hope Covenant Church. In so many ways, you are an example of who we are and what we're about in the Evangelical Covenant Church. The sign you have out in the parking lot of no perfect people allowed speaks to your missional heart in local community. Uh, when I first became superintendent, uh, your own Yvonne Devon was serving on the executive board of the Pacific Southwest Conference. And uh, with the work that she's doing with her husband, Will, uh, with Ava uh, and uh, Mending the Soul. Again, this is another way in which uh, this church is involved uh, in the various expressions of who God is through the Evangelical Covenant Church. So uh, I'm just honored and blessed to be here. Uh, I am originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, um, uh, oh man, I'm in Minnesota fans. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, you, you wanted to get away from that cold too, just like me. So, yeah, uh, I'll talk about that a little later in the sermon maybe. Uh, I uh, invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Paul is speaking and he says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. From this text, I want to preach to you on the title, The Reconciling Church. The Reconciling Church. God, I pray that this would be your message. That God, ultimately you are preaching and I am just the vehicle, the vessel that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. The Reconciling Church. Um, I need to confess something to you as I uh, dive into this message, and that is I am really into superhero movies. No, no, I am really into superhero movies. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I went with my wife, Denisha, and my youngest daughter, Maria, to see Iron Man 3. My oldest daughter, Jada, was not able to go to the movie with us because she was invited to a birthday party of one of her really good friends at the high school that she goes to. So, 
The next weekend, I made a sacrifice. And I went to go see Iron Man 3 again so that my oldest daughter, Jada, could go see the movie. I I know what you're thinking. What a great dad. I know. I mean, you know, it wasn't easy, but I, I just said, no, Lord, I will make this sacrifice. I will go see Iron Man 3 twice. Last year, I saw the movie The Avengers three times. I saw the, the Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises, three times. I was an underachiever when it came to The Amazing Spider-Man. I only saw that once. Uh, this love for superhero movies is not just about, like, you know, the movies I've seen already. I can see from a comic bookology perspective prophetically into the future. I know that in November, Thor 2 comes out. I also know that uh, next year in 2014, Captain America 2, uh, Winter Soldier comes out. Also in the spring of 2015, Avengers 2 comes out, as well as Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of things I know about the Bible as well. Um, I'm just saying, I, I know this stuff. This really goes back to my childhood of really being into comic books. Uh, growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, when I was, uh, was, I was young, my friends and I, in the summer months, we would all meet at the corner on the block where I grew up, and we would all bring our comic books. We'd bring our Superman, our Spider-Man, our Fantastic Four, all of our comic books, and we would trade them. But there was one comic book series I would never trade. And it was a Superman series. The story arc was called Bizarro World. So the story went something like this. There's this other planet, this other realm known as Bizarro World, and it's full of evil, injustice, wickedness. It's an upside down evil planet, evil world. And there's a person in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. And Bizarro World is threatening to invade planet Earth, specifically Metropolis, where Clark Kent works at the Daily Planet. And so Clark Kent, who we all know as Superman, he decides to sacrifice himself and he leaves Metropolis and he goes into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this storyline, you have to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are good. It's bizarro world that's evil, that's wicked, that's broken, that's upside down. But many of us in this sanctuary, if not all of us, have lived life long enough to understand that um, we actually live in bizarro world. This world that we live in, This is the upside down world. Oh, yes, there are places on planet Earth where there's good community and harmony and unity and justice and goodness. But there are far too many places on this planet where there's brokenness, where there's evil, where there's injustice, where there's disease and extreme poverty. There are too many places on this planet where there's demonizing, deep division. Domestic abuse, abuse, human trafficking. You can't even stand at the finish line of a marathon today. This is the upside down, broken, bizarro world in which we live. But here's the good news. 
Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this bizarro world. And he walked the earth. He gave sight to the blind. He gave mobility to the paralyzed. He gave dignity and personhood to the marginalized. He gave the greatest health care plan ever known to a woman with an issue of blood in a crowded place. Jesus. And then he went to the cross and he bore all of the sins of every human being, past, present and future in this upside down, bizarro world. He went to the grave and he came out of the grave alive. One day, Jesus is going to come back for us. The question becomes, how are we to live? Who are we to be as the church between now and when Jesus returns? I moved to Northern California from Minnesota about uh, three years ago. And uh, I realized that in winter months like November and December, it's still nice outside compared to Minnesota. So I was taking a run one day in November. And while I was running, I saw spray painted on the ground. Judgment Day, May 21st. 2011. That was November 2010. I saw that. And I said to myself, wait a minute, Lord, I just moved to California. You coming back that quick? Man, it's the only nice winter I'm ever going to enjoy. But I mean, you're God. You can come back whenever you want to. May 21st, 2011 came and went. We're still here. The person who predicted this would be the last day then said, I was wrong. It's actually October 15th, 2011. And here we are. The Bible is still proven true that no man knows the hour. The question then becomes, instead of guessing on the return of Jesus, what are we to do until Jesus returns? I heard an old preacher once say, when Jesus returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. God has decided that the way, the love, the truth, The grace, the peace, the transformation of God is going to come into this world is through us, the beloved children of God, through us, the church. Don't look around. No, it's it's you. God is in the business of using his own beloved children to bring transformation into this upside down, bizarro world. Here's the big idea of this message. Out of the overflow of God's love, we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. All of us are called to a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That we play a role in filling the gap between a broken world and the kingdom of God. Between lost people and a savior. Between broken people and a blessing. You and I, God's beloved children, those of us that have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, regardless of your age, your gender, your ethnicity, your your economic status, uh, the, the family upbringing that you had, the house you grew up in, regardless of all of that, we all have one thing in common in Christ. Well, really a couple. One, we're redeemed. Two, there's a call on our life to be an ambassador of reconciliation on some level where we live, where we work, where we go to school, where we play. God desires 
out of the overflow of his love poured out upon us that we might have a life mission as a community together, as a church that's about reconciliation. I want to give you three points and then get out of your way based on this text from Paul. Paul is writing to a church in a city known as Corinth. In the first letter to this church, he mainly focuses on the dynamics internally of being in the church. He talks about even though everyone is gifted, everyone is talented, it's the same God, he says in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, that's working through all of us. He reminds us in the church that nobody is better than another person in the church. We are all valuable. We are all important. We are merely different parts of one body, the body of Christ. And no one should see themselves as lesser than anybody else. And no one should see themselves as more important than anybody else. We are all a part of the same body. He then goes into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians talking about the importance of love. And then at the center, at the core of the church, ought to be the love of God. And it's this love of God that calls us to not hold things against one another, to bear one another's burdens, to believe in all things, to hope all things can be possible because of God's love being at the center of what it means to be the church. Here in 2 Corinthians, in his second letter, he's now talking about what it means to take that love out in this bizarro world to the broken, to the lost, to the hurting. So let me get to the three points. In verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. If we're going to be a reconciling church, first thing is we need a deeper understanding of the culture in which we live. A deeper understanding of the culture and the world in which we live and why we're in it. Corinth was a very diverse city, a growing metropolitan area, very diverse, but yet very divided. Paul wants them to know that the place where their church is, Corinth, This city is in need of a savior. It's in need of transformation. So the reason we need a deeper understanding of the culture and the world in which we live so that we can be one reminded that the world in which we live, no matter how good it is or how bad it is, it's in need of a savior named Jesus. Do you really see the world in which you live or do you just kind of drive through it and work in it and live in it? Or have you allowed God to open your eyes and your heart that around you, in your neighborhood, in your family, where you work, there are people that need to know that Jesus died for them. They need to know that there is a Savior alive and well who brings new life, 
who brings new possibilities, who brings a transformation that they cannot bring on their own. The love of Christ controlling us should have us conclude that this broken world needs to know the one who died for all. That they should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Once you see this world in which you live and you know that it needs a savior, then it's a reminder too that we can't just live for ourselves in this world. Could it be that God placed you on purpose where you live, where you shop, where you work, where you volunteer, where you go to school? You're there on purpose to be a reconciler, to be a bridge between this broken world and an all-powerful, all-good, all-loving, all-transforming God. That's why you're there. So, if we're going to be a reconciling church, we need a deeper understanding of Chandler, of the greater Phoenix metropolitan area, and beyond, to know why Did God place this church here? Why did God lead me to this church? Why did God lead me to where I live, where I work, where I go to school? A deeper understanding of the culture in the world in which we live. In verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Not only do we need a deeper understanding of the culture and the world in which we live, we also need a deeper understanding of Christ. A deeper understanding of Christ. Two things that Paul is pointing us to here in verse 16. One, he's saying this. There was a time when followers of Christ knew him In the flesh, they knew him as God, but they knew him in human form and they saw him speak and they saw him perform miracles. They they saw him teach. They saw him do things. But that's not the Jesus we know now. We now know an invisible Jesus who is alive. We know him not through the flesh anymore. We now know Jesus through the spirit. That's one thing that he's saying that even though none of us today can physically touch, walk with Jesus, we can still experience Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through God showing up among us. We can still experience the words, the actions, the miracles, the the incredible supernatural works of Jesus. We can still experience this, just not in the flesh. He's also saying this. Potentially. He may be also sharing with us his own journey in knowing Jesus. You see, there was a time when Paul actually was persecuting people who believed in Jesus. There was a time that if Paul came to a person or a community of people who believed in Jesus, he wanted them thrown in prison. He wanted them physically oppressed. He wanted them killed. Why? Because he thought he knew Jesus. He thought the Jesus he knew, he thought Jesus was some crazy revolutionary guy who stirred up a lot of trouble for religious leaders like him. 
and stirred up a lot of trouble for the Roman Empire. Paul himself being a Roman citizen. And this crazy guy stirred up a lot of trouble. Got a lot of people, thousands to follow him. But then they crucified him and he's dead. And so why are these people still following this dead, crazy revolutionary who's no longer around? And on his way uh, to persecute followers of Jesus on the road to Damascus, he actually, the scripture says, met the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He met him. So Paul may also be saying to us, you know what? There are times when we think we know Jesus and then something happens in our life and we meet the real Jesus. What I'm trying to say to you is if we want to be a reconciling church, we need to be open and available daily through the word in community with other believers to experience the real Jesus. Some people think they already know Jesus, but they might not. Because there's a lot of Jesuses out here. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how many Jesuses there are out here? I mean, there's the political Jesus. There's Jesus, the CEO. There's Jesus, the actor. There's Jesus, the celebrity. There's the Jesus, the genie that I just say, Jesus, give me something. And then I just and then that just happened like the, the Aladdin Jesus. There, there, there's the conservative Jesus, there's the liberal Jesus, there's the white Jesus, there's the black Jesus, there's the city, there's the Jesus, my homeboy, all kinds of Jesuses out here. Take your pick. And some people are following these false Jesuses. It's our job, church, to continually put ourselves in the position to know the real Jesus. The Jesus that died for all of us. The Jesus that transcends race and gender and class, but still sees all those things to his own glory. We must, in community together, pursue, desire, hunger for, thirst for the real Jesus. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If we're going to be a reconciling church, not only do we need a deeper understanding of the culture, the world in which we live, not only do we need a deeper understanding of Christ, but finally, we need a deeper understanding of change. We need a deeper understanding of the power of change if we're going to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So let me talk to you really briefly about change from two perspectives in Christ. One, when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you repented of your sins, when you invited Jesus into your life, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you were to repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your life as Lord of your life, one, you are instantly changed. 
I mean, like that, by faith, you are changed. You might not look like it. You might not feel like it. But you are changed in an instant that, that you confess Jesus and invite Jesus into your heart. You go from the sinner to the saint, from the unrighteous to the righteous, from the unholy to the holy, from, from, from the broken to the blessed. You are a new creature. You're a new man. You're a new woman. You are new. Instantly, you are changed. But at the same time, you are instantly changed and you are changing. Because you might not right away behave in multiple areas based on who you are now in Jesus. You... You might say, I'm a Christian, but I just said something wasn't Christian. I just thought something that wasn't Christian. But you're changing. You are changed and you're living into your change at the same time. You're living into who you are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not who you want to be yet as a Christian, that's okay. Celebrate where you are and keep pressing forward in Jesus' name. You know, you know, some people used to lie every day. Now you only lie on Tuesday. See, that's progress. <laughs> used to hate everybody. Now you only hate two people. I mean, you're not who you want to be, but you're on your way. I mean, God's just still crucifying stuff in you. God is killing you softly with his love, killing you softly with his love. That's what he's doing to get you right. You're changed and you're changing simultaneously. Now, when you own this, Now you can be a humble Christian. Some Christians act kind of arrogant because they act like they've arrived, like they're better. And to be honest, everything in you is not as right as it could be. Everything in us. Well, let me just pick on me. Everything in me is not as Jesus-like as I would like it to be. Because sometimes somebody cuts me off on the highway during rush hour traffic and my first thought is it bless him jesus hallelujah it's something un-jesus like now when i realize every day how much i need jesus it allows me to be more humble and to be more gracious and loving with people that don't know jesus uh To live this kind of way as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, you have to understand that to extend the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the peace of Jesus to the lost and the broken, we can't do this in our own power. We need Jesus to do it. When I officiate weddings, I usually say to the groom-to-be, I say to him, look, before we say these vows and exchange these rings, I got to tell you something, man. You do not have it in your own power to love this woman the way God wants her to be loved. And if she's charismatic, she says, amen, pastor, tell him. That's right. (laughs) And I look at her, but I say, sister, I need to tell you something. You do not have it in your own power to love this man the way God desires him to be loved. So what can you do? You have to wake up every day and say, God, I give you permission to love him through me. 
God, I give you permission to love her through me. I cannot do this on my own. What if Christians took this approach in a broken, upside down world? God, I give you permission to love my children through me. I give you permission to love my spouse through me. I give you permission to love my siblings through me, to love my parents through me, to love my neighbors through me, to love my enemies through me. I give you permission because I can't do that on my own. I, you know what I don't need God's help in doing? disliking people. I can do that all by myself. I do not. I don't have to pray a prayer. God, please help me to be unforgiving today. I really need you, Jesus. Please help me to hate somebody. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can hate, dislike. I can just a random one, two, three, four, four, you, sir. I can just dislike you in my own power. I don't need Jesus. But to love, I need Jesus to be a person of truth and justice and integrity and consistency in my Christian walk, I need Jesus. That's who we have to be to be a reconciling church, a church hungry for God daily to show up in our lives. This is your call, Hope Covenant Church. In Chandler, in the greater Phoenix area, and beyond, To be a reconciling church, extending the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus to the world. This summer, you've got a a sermon series coming up on the Beatitudes. I wanted to preach a a sermon on the Beatitudes, but Pastor Brandon said, no, you cannot. So I was obedient and I didn't. But there's one thing I want to say is at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. That's what I'm asking you to be, Hope Covenant Church. Be salt. Now, as I come to my close here, you just got to know salt does three things really quick. One, it brings good taste. That's why you pick up a salt shaker. You're not trying to offend the chef. You just know it's going to make it taste better when you throw that on there. That's why you like barbecue sauce and ketchup. And if you're like me, Louisiana hot sauce on your catfish, you like that because it's salty. It makes it taste good. You need to be a salty church in this community to bring the good taste of God. Salt also, before the technologies of refrigeration, it kept food fresh, kept things from going rotten, from spoiling. There are communities that are going to rot. There are systems that are going to spoil educational systems, economic systems, family systems that will go rotten unless the church is willing to be salty and be reconcilers. The church has to believe that no matter where the statistics are around marriages and families, that it is still possible to restore the family. That it's still possible to stabilize the family if we're a salty church. The other thing is, for those of you that born and raised in Arizona, you're not going to understand this part, but I'm from Minnesota, and it gets cold in Minnesota. I mean, one time, I made the mistake of walking outside when it was 25 below zero in Minneapolis. And my nose started to run, so I was reaching to get a tissue, and I was trying to get a tissue, and by the time I, I, I put the tissue up to my nose, it was too late. The, I had a snot sickle on the top of my lip. It was so cold that my nose started dripping, and I had a booger pop. Right on the top of my lip. I mean, what could I do? I mean, I couldn't go like that. I couldn't wipe it out. It was froze. I had to let it thaw out. You know how embarrassing that is, be walking around waiting for a snot sickle to thaw out? 
Now, it gets so cold in Minnesota that just the exhaust from cars can cause ice on the ground. So there's two things you can put down to deal with the ice. One is sand, but that only gives you traction. If you put salt down on the ice, it actually eats it away. You can keep people from slipping and falling, having broken lives by being salt. So that's what I want you to be, Hope Covenant. Be a salt shaker. Just go out and just shake on it. Brokenness, domestic abuse, division, demonizing, disease, poverty, this lost, broken, bizarro world. Shake the love of Jesus on it. Shake the grace, the truth, the peace of Jesus. Just be a salt shaker. Just shake on it. I mean, if you like to dance, you can just get into it like that. Just go like that. Now, you might not have no rhythm. Don't try that. You know, just do this. And go about your business. That's what you do. But however you do it, do it in Jesus' name. Let the grace, the love, the peace, the truth of Jesus flow through you. Amen.